Okay, we are continuing in the Word of God today in Joshua. And if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we'll be picking up in Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. That's where we left off last week. And this is actually part two of our inheritance because we've, we've talked now as we've been in Joshua. We had 12 chapters really of God going before Israel and fighting for Israel and conquering the land and doing all those wonderful things that they were doing. And now the second part of Joshua is the giving out of the inheritance that the tribes were having. So we talked last week, we started about that with these lands that the tribes got to have, especially on the, the east side of the Jordan, those two and a half tribes. And, and what we saw was that the Levites, the priests, didn't have an inheritance. It sounded bad until you realized that their inheritance was God. And we as priests, our inheritance is God himself. And what a wonderful gift that is that we get Christ. Today, uh, we go on and we could begin to see the giving of the, of the land inside the promised land itself. And, and, and here's the thing. My, I, I don't think probably, and, and I'm guessing, I won't ask for raised hands, but if I was going to guess, I would say in your whole life, you've probably only heard a sermon or a teaching on this portion of Scripture one or two times, if at all. It's chapters 14 through 17. There are long lists of names. They glaze my eyes. In first service, I messed up one of the names throughout. They didn't let me forget it. But the reality is we don't, and sometimes we don't think through. And, and oftentimes even my worry is for the Old Testament, that we read the Old Testament, and we allow our, our misunderstandings, our superficial readings, to pull us away from the truth of the gospel. It robs me of my assurance. It's something oftentimes I see taught quite a bit. I, I, I call it the deadly bees. Have you heard of that? Be like fill in the blank of the Old Testament hero. Be like David. Be like Joshua. Be like Moses. You know, only, only cut out the bad parts where Moses killed somebody. Cut out the bad parts where he committed adultery and do the good parts. Be like X. And there's nothing wrong with good examples in the Old Testament. They are there. We get to read a, a story about a hero today. His name's Caleb. <laughs> Fantastic. But if we don't see rightly, if we start to put these bees on ourselves as the system by which God works, we will rob ourselves of assurance and peace and the depth of the gospel. I don't want that for you. I want you to see it. So I want you to see in the, in the scriptures today, the plan of God for you. You who, if I hope you do, trust in Jesus Christ. You are the people of God. What does that mean for our freedom and our rest and our joy and all those things. So we're going to look at that in the passage today, and, 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 and we get to see this. We get to see this hero. I want you to see a couple of things. One is that obedience is possible. I want you to see that failure happens. Then I want to see what God actually is about. I want to open your eyes to it. So let's take a look. We'll start with the story of our hero this morning, of Caleb's story. And this is Joshua chapter 14. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. That's where we are. Here we go. Okay, the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. 
And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to Joshua, You know what Yahweh said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of Yahweh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed Yahweh my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed Yahweh my God. Wait a minute, just a minute before we go on. Isn't that amazing? This is the story, right? You remember the story. It's in Numbers. When the 12 spies went in to spy out the promised land, it's a well-known story. They went in and they saw this land flowing with milk and honey, but they also saw giants. And they came back and 10 of the spies were like, no way, we're going to be crushed like grasshoppers. We're like bugs. The other two were like, hey, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. God's given it to us. Let's go take it. Those two guys were Joshua, who now is the leading all Israel, and Caleb, this guy. That was 45 years ago because Caleb and Joshua wandered in the wilderness, and there they were wandering, and then five more years of conquest, and so now Caleb's 85. What is he doing? He's saying, hey, there was an inheritance promised me. I'd like it. So and that's what he says in verse 10. Now behold, Yahweh has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that Yahweh spoke this word to Moses. Well, Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for coming and for going. So now, says Caleb to Joshua, give me this hill country of which Yahweh spoke on that day. For you heard that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that Yahweh will be with me and I shall drive them out just as Yahweh said. He says, hey, I want as my inheritance the land that I went and saw with these great fortified cities. And we know already from the five years of conquest that those cities have been destroyed. But the people are still there. A lot of them in the countryside all around, there's still resistance. There's still those of the Anakim. We know that word. Against God. So Joshua blessed Caleb. He gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. You know, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And the land had rest from war. <laughs> so the inheritance is given. I wonder if Caleb's going to go and drive out all the rest of these Anakim folks. I wonder if they're going to get removed because God wants them removed. He's told them to be removed. But now Caleb says, give it to him. Even though I'm 85, I'm ready to go. And you're like, wow, I wonder what's going to happen. And then, and then there's this pregnant pause. And if you read your Bible at all and you read it through, all of a sudden now it's talking about places and names and things. And you say, well, oh, you're supposed to go, I wonder if he did it. I wonder if he did it. And while you're thinking that, it takes a little break and it starts talking about the borders of the whole tribe of Judah because 
Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. And so you do that. I'm not going to read it all. This, it, it'll put you to sleep. We don't know any of these places, but I promised you a map. So here's the map. And it looks like this. They, they, they delineate out all the green piece in the bottom, the whole thing, even that thing in the middle. All of it right there is given now in the text to Judah. The green boundary. It's almost half of the promised land given to them. It's maybe easier to see this way. It's, it's that blue, but it also includes the green. It hasn't been taken out yet. So it's all, this is the description in chapter 15, 1 to 12. We get a description. It's interesting. We're starting with Judah. You remember that, that the oldest son is Reuben, but he took, a, he took a portion of land on the east side, outside of the promised land. And then there's Simeon, but Simeon isn't talked about. And then there's Levi. He doesn't get an inheritance. So really, we're starting with Judah. And if you go back to Genesis 49, cool stuff. Judah's the one that gets this amazing blessing from Jacob. And so you've got these, these two. You've got Judah and you've got Joseph. He's got two kids. That's what we get to really look at today. But there's their land. That's what they get to do. And then you're sitting here wondering, well, I wonder if Caleb kicked out these Anakim. I wonder what happens. And, and then there in verse 13, he picks it up and he, he, Caleb got Hebron. What did he do with it? Here it is. Verse 13, according to the commandment of Yahweh to Joshua, he gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. You get it? Anakim. And Caleb drove out from there these three sons of Anak. They'd be giants, right? Sheshai and Ahimon and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. And he went up from there, didn't stop there. He kept going to the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath-Sephir. And Caleb said, whoever strikes Kiriath-Sephir and captures it, to him I will give Aksa, my daughter, his wife. Seems like an unfortunate name, but I don't know. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, his wife. And when she came to him, he urged him to ask her father for a field. And as she got off her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you want? She said to him, give me a blessing. Since you've given me the land of the Negeb, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. You're like, I don't know any of these places. Why is it important? Here it is. Caleb did it, right? Caleb went against these Anakim, these giants, these massive but powerful people, and, and then with the Lord, you know, the Lord, he did it. And, and because of that, he's blessed, right? He has not just lands for himself, but he has stuff to give away to his, to his family, to his relatives. He's, he, he's, he's generous. There he is, giving away things because he's got things. Why? Because he's blessed. Why is he blessed? His obedience. Right? Be like Caleb. Dax, I would totally be bought in with you, but I heard what you said at the beginning, and so I'm suspicious. You're smart people. This is a story of success. That's what it is, right? It absolutely is. He did it. They can do it, and, and, and this is the thing. They're able to do what God tells them to do. They're not, it's not a lack of ability there that, that somehow they're unable to, that God prevents them. They're able if they would do it. 
They're blessed because they obey. The possibility is real. Caleb takes uh, takes Hebron. When Jesus says in the New Testament, for example, Jesus says things like, hey, the Pharisees say, what's the way of life? It's why you're keeping the commandments. If you would keep them, love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a pathway there that if you would do it and you would keep those things, that, that's, a, that's a way to life, right? And so if you don't do that, because here's Caleb, and he does it. He, he, he does what God says. He, he gets them out. He, he's fighting giants and, and big. He's a grasshopper compared to them. And here he is by trusting the Lord wholly. There he is doing it, and he's, he's obeying, and so he's blessed. And so, and so if you don't, it's on you, right? It's on me if I don't entirely obey. If it's possible to do, and I don't do it. God's plan is being carried out by the obedience of Caleb. And, and, and what I would love to do in my heart, it would help my system a lot if I could just end the story right there. Okay, guys, done. Let's go. The problem is, we're not done. The story's not done. The story keeps going. The Bible keeps going. The Bible doesn't just tell that story. It's woven into this larger story of Judah and of Joseph, these two big tribes. We'll get to all of the inheritances next week, but these today we get the, the two biggies. Judah, that strong tribe that got the massive blessing in Genesis 49. And, and, and then there's Joseph and, and the two kids of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, who are the tribes that are big. Boy, Joseph, remember that great story of how he came and he saved Israel as a slave. He rose up and, oh, fantastic story. Now they're going to get their inheritance. So this is the story. We pick it up in verse, well, it starts off, right? If you keep reading, now you're going to get the list. You're going to get the list of all the cities that were given to Judah. There's a lot of them. I'm not going to read them all again, but, but I'll just put up the map again, and I'll just tell you, in this green area at the bottom, this green area that's down here at the bottom, there's, there's, they're dotted with some cities, but that's not even a complete list. Then he starts to list out, and he lists them all. I'm just going to pick it up at verse 60 and, and give you a flavor, but there's over 150 cities given to Judah, that tribe. Look at it. Then we pick it up. It says Kiriath Baal, that is Kiriath Jerim and Rabbah, two cities with their villages in the wilderness, Beth Arabah, Midin, Sekakah, Nibshan, the city of Salt, and En Gedi. Six cities with their villages. That's just the end of this list of over 150 cities. Amazing. God gives good things, and he gives good things first to Judah. In the land. But then there's verse 63. But the Jebusites... The inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. What? Excuse me. What? That, 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 that. Where's Caleb? Where's Caleb when you need him? Caleb's not far away. Hebron's not far from Jerusalem. Can't we just get General Caleb up here? He'll take Jerusalem. They, they didn't do it. 
They didn't drive out these people. I mean, you're going to think about what, what, what problems this is going to cause for them in the future. You know, all the stories to the ages of the Philistines and David and Goliath and these people that it's not good. They, they're leaving people there. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to get cursed. Eventually kicked out of the land. They didn't do what they could have done, which is drive out the Jebusites. And so they kept, they kept these Jebusites kept Jerusalem and you think, well, that's going to be a rarity, right? It's not going to be a common practice that they don't obey the Lord. So let's consider for a minute. Let's, let's consider Joseph. That's his, his two kids, Ephraim and Manasseh. Remember, Ephraim is younger, but Jacob blessed him first, so he comes first in the, in the gift list here. And half the tribe of Manasseh has already had their inheritance outside the promised land to the east. We've seen that already. But here we are in, in, in doing that. It talks about this allotment of the people of Joseph. That's Ephraim and Manasseh. Went from the Jordan by Jericho, east of the waters of Jericho, into the wilderness, going up from Jericho into the hill country to Bethel, then going from Bethel to Luz. It passed along to Ataroth, the territory of the Archites. Then it goes down westward to the territory of the Japhetites, as far as the territory of the lower Beth Haran, then to Gezer, and it ends at the sea. The people of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim received their inheritance. And all that language just means this. It means that they, they're being carved out this big, huge piece of land that's the lavender piece in the middle and then the yellow piece that goes up. Another almost third of the promised land. So Judah and, and, and Joseph together, those two. Joseph is Ephraim and Manasseh, so that's three tribes really, right? They're getting three quarters of the promised land. That's a lot of land. So that describes it, but here's this comment in verse 10 of chapter 16. This is Ephraim. However, it says, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. What? The idea wasn't punish the people. The idea wasn't make them slaves. The idea, no, no, that's, that's abhorrent. Don't do that. The idea was remove them. This is God's land given to, to the people of Israel. Take them out, and they didn't. Well, Manasseh, the older brother of Ephraim, that tribe is next. Talks about that half tribe and the land they got and some cities they shared with Issachar and and and, and here that is and that's this this big yellow portion up there and so so let's say what it says about them at the end yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land Joshua seventeen verse twelve this is not the rarity. This is what happened. This is a big deal because these are the big two, Judah and Joseph. They could have done it. They could have. Caleb proved it. He did it. He was in the tribe of Judah. But overall, these tribes left the Canaanites scattered in God's land in their inheritance, and they weren't supposed to. This, there's God re restoring his kingdom, and it's, it's not done. And right here, Right here, your theology can take a hit. Because you, if you're not careful, will do something like this. I need to obey God, I will be blessed. If I don't obey God, I will be cursed. 
Here's the example. Caleb. He obeyed God and he was blessed. These Judah, Judah and Joseph, these tribes, they didn't do it. And you know what's going to happen over time. It's going to be a thorn in their side. It's going to be terrible for them. They will be cursed because they didn't obey God. And so therefore you and I will say, what? No, duh. Obey and you will be blessed. Disobey and you'll be cursed. And we will enter right back into this thing called the law. Because that's what this is. This is a real problem. It preaches well. But you begin to think that God's plan hinges on your obedience. And the, the very best, though, Judah and, and Joseph's tribes, they didn't take... Judah didn't take... Jer Jerusalem seems like a really important place to me. What's going... Why didn't they take it? Okay, so I want you to consider something else this morning. I want to kind of shake your world a little bit because you probably haven't even thought about these things. I want you to ask you a, a question that maybe you haven't considered. Do you know what Hebron is? It's a place, right? We know Caleb took Hebron. A big deal is made. A big deal is made about Canaan. And we think, about Caleb, we think, well, it's all about how he was wholly committed to the Lord, and therefore he could do something. No, maybe it's about something else. Maybe it's about he took Hebron. Where have we heard of Hebron? Have you ever heard of Hebron before, O oh, student of the Bible? You go back into the deep recesses of your Bible classes back in somewhere or other Sunday school, and you think, wait a minute. In Genesis, that was Abraham's favorite place. In fact, in Genesis 23, if you start to think through and think what's going on, you say, wait a minute. In Genesis 23, Sarah died. Where did she die? at their place in Hebron. And they were buried right down the road in these caves that, that Abraham bought while he lived in Hebron. And then Abraham died. Where do you think he was buried? Oh, you probably guess. The same caves right near Hebron. Isaac, where do you think he was buried? Hebron. Where do you think Rebekah was buried? Hebron. Where do you think Leah was buried? Hebron, right, right near Hebron in these caves, in this field that they bought, because this place became this, this place that was where God made this promise to his nation. And then Caleb came and, and, and took it back, and he took this place, and, and he's, he's got it, but he doesn't take Jerusalem. Well, let me give you another piece of the story. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 5, let me put it on the, the board, this becomes our story. This is your story. You're not Caleb. This story is about you, though. Think about 2 Samuel chapter 5, and it's a scene where, where David has... David, remember David? David's a big, big, big part of the Old Testament. He's a man after God's own heart. Out of him will come the Messiah who will save us. And, and here you have David, and he's the king of Judah, and he's about to be crowned king of all Israel, the north and the south together, these divided kingdoms coming together and becoming one. They're not even divided yet. So then it says, all the tribes of Israel, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, where? At Hebron. That was where David lived. That was David's residence. That was David's place. 
And there they are at Hebron. And, and they said, behold, when we are your bone and flesh. And in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And Yahweh said to you, you shall be shepherd over my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. And, and then it says in verse 3, so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And David made a covenant with them at Hebron before Yahweh, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. You start to see that something's going on in the geographical mind of God. That Hebron, which he took and he removed the Anakim, he took it out. This is my place, says God. And then you have David, who will be the king over all Israel. He'll be, he'll be pointing to somebody else, though. And when he becomes king, and you can go on and read this, you can read it at home. I won't keep going for time's sake, but let me just tell you. The first thing he does there as king, it says he goes up to Jerusalem and he takes it away from the Jebusites. And all of a sudden our eyes go up. Why? Because the Jebusites was who Judah left in Jerusalem. What happened? They ended up controlling Jerusalem. And then David, God's man, he came up and he took Jerusalem. David did it. And Jerusalem will be the place where a thousand years later God's unique son dies on a cross and secures a victory for you and for me. That's the place, right? That's the place outside on Golgotha, the place of the cross, where the, the, uh, the place of the skull, where the cross was, where the blood was spilled, where Jesus in his perfect obedience, Jesus actually is our victory. Jesus won. What did he win? He didn't just win against principalities and powers. He didn't just win against Jebusites. He won against sin. He conquered death. He's, he's the victor. This is our story. This is our story. It's not about your obedience, is it? It's about the obedience of Jesus Christ. He's going to win the battle. He's going to do it all. And here in the Old Testament, right here in the middle of these names that numb our minds, of these things that we don't understand, and, and therefore what we take away is, oh, I better stay within the umbrella of God's blessing. By obedience, I actually start to miss that it is a story of obedience. It's a story of the obedience of the one who will win for us everything. That's our message, right? It's not a message of me being a good little boy and girl. It's a message of my Savior being victorious over sin and death and giving that by his love and his grace to me. I mean, let me give you just, just a little example. Here's Ephesians. Therefore, remember, there's things to remember for you and me, that at one time we were Gentiles in the flesh. All of us outside. We weren't good little Israelites striving to keep the law. You and I were outside. We had, it says, remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That doesn't happen by the good little things I do. That's by the blood of Christ. And so we have in the Old Testament, we have this place that God says, I'm taking it. It's mine. And there will be David. David, the man after God's heart, out of whom salvation will come through the line of David, even through when he takes Jerusalem, and then God will put his son in Jerusalem of the line of David, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he will die for you and me. And his obedience reckoned to me, his righteousness given to me, everything about me is because of what he did. This, you know, is the special thing about me and you. This is the thing that will give you assurance and peace that will not rob you when you see yourself fall down because though it is good to obey and though you try hard to obey in external things that you do, you will fail. I'm telling you, you will fail. I'm not encouraging you that you will make it. I don't mind you trying. The Bible doesn't either. It says you should be perfect. And then when you fall down, what happens? If you're in this, if you're in this over here and you stay over here in this shallow reading of the Old Testament in this, in this works-based righteousness, you will, you will, you will beat yourself every time. You will try every time. You will hit the wall every time and you will, you will never have peace. You will never have freedom. You will never have joy because you will always see before you the despair of your sin or the pride of looking at other sin. But if you will come and you will see that God has a plan. And that plan is your rescue. Your redemption by the blood of Jesus and his perfect obedience. And it's always been his plan. He's said it all the way through. The imperfection of people and yet the perfectness of God's own son. And he did it. And, and therefore, we're free, you and I, to tell you this message. I want everybody to know because everybody falls down. Everybody out there that's beating their head against the wall that thinks, oh, I'm going to make it by my good works. I'll tell you, you've got a message for them. You've got a message that says, no, 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 you don't understand. I've got Jesus. He loves me. I'm excited to share that message. I'm excited to apply freedom and joy, and, and blessing. I'm excited to live my life in gratitude to respond to what Jesus has done. N not by going to some ladder of, of, of increasing goodness in myself. I, that's, like, that's like thumbing my nose at what's been done for me in Jesus. He's given me his goodness. He's forgiven my sin forever. He's done it for you too. It's not just the New Testament. It's the Old Testament in his context, pointing to God's story. Would you rejoice with me that he's done it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you have done in Christ. Lord, so amazed that you have saved us by your work, by your obedience, Jesus, by your righteousness given. Lord, thank you that you're our everything. And this day, as we trust you, Lord, as we, as we trust that your perfect obedience is applied to us, that we get freedom and gratitude and joy, that you would give peace, 
And Lord, even when those things aren't present, that it might still be pressed upon us, the great things that you have done for us, and we might come again to your cross and see it. Thank you for what you've done.